had to move this down a little bit. The last guy was a little taller. Uh, uh, great to be here together with you today uh, to worship, uh, to open up God's Word together. And uh, next week, uh, the 13th, uh, Sunday evening, we've got a worship night that we're going to be doing here where it'll be um, less me talking, more of us having opportunities to sing and give thanks to God as we approach the Thanksgiving season. And so we want to make sure that you've got that on your calendar next Sunday evening, uh, November 13th, for a worship night. Um, oh. Our, our fall ball season just wrapped up. We, we, we play a lot of baseball in our family. Um, and uh, a couple weeks ago, we were at practice, and uh, I was coaching, but also in the outfield. You know, we, we, had, we didn't have enough players. And Kieran was at bat, and the guy threw him a pitch, and he smoked the ball. I mean, just absolutely crushed it. And the launch angle wasn't quite right, so it didn't quite get high enough to go over the fence, but it hit the fence just two feet short of a home run. And he was mad, and I talked a lot of trash. I was like, nice hit, warning track power, you know, and uh, just because that's what you do. We're having fun, right? So then about 10 minutes later, the kids are like, coach, you need to go hit. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) What if I can't hit it over the fence? And the first one I hit, just a routine ground ball right to the shortstop. It was bad. The next one I hit was a nice line drive, and I'm like, all right, this is my last chance. And whack, I hit it. Same exact spot his went, but 20 feet further. It was a homer. And I flipped my bat, and I talked trash the whole way around the bases, and I acted like it was the greatest thing that ever happened. And you all realize how silly this is, right? I am a grown man, and we're just having fun, but I'm comparing myself to 11-year-olds, right? It's silly, right? I should be able to hit it over a Little League fence. It's sillier when you think about the fact that, like, at the Giants Stadium, that, that wouldn't even made it to the warning track. It wouldn't have been close. It's silly when you think about, like, if I'm saying I'm a great home run hitter and I compare myself to somebody like Barry Bonds, who in 2001 hit 73 homers in a Major League Stadium. It is silly to compare myself to 11-year-olds, and it is silly to compare myself to Barry Bonds. Both things are ridiculous, right? And, and, and that's what I want to talk about today is the tendency we have to compare ourselves to others um, and how unhealthy that is, not just for ourselves, but for our communities as well. And that's all uh, Galatians 6 really kind of helps us hone in on. Now, there's, there's a bunch of stuff that Paul says in Galatians 6. A lot of it is, is kind of a recap of some of the topics he's, he's um, but it's, it's, it's a lot of recap, but it's also honing in on this one thing, this stop comparing yourself to one another. Look at yourself with truth. Look at others with truth. See yourself and others through God's eyes and not through human eyes. And so we're going to look at that, and we're going to talk about how that does damage to us when we compare ourselves to one another. And, and if you've got a Bible with you, open it up to Galatians chapter 6. The text will be on the screen as well. And Paul starts this way, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. 
instructor. And so Paul here says uh, two things that seem to be contradictory. First, he says, carry each other's burdens. And then he says, carry your own load. And it seems like, wait a minute, those don't go together. But there's a difference between what Paul means by burden and what he means by load. Burden here is, is related to struggles with sin. He's saying help each other walk away from old sinful patterns and help each other walk with the Holy Spirit, right? And this is true. We cannot do this alone. We need accountability. We need encouragement. We need advice. We need each other. And so right off the bat, I want to ask, do you have people in your life that you can be transparent with, that you can be open and honest with? Do you have one or two people in your life that you can be totally honest with so that they can help you walk away from sinful behaviors and patterns and walk with the Spirit? Then Paul says, carry your own load. And what he's saying is take responsibility for yourself. Essentially, he's saying take responsibility for others and for yourself. Don't blame others. Don't compare yourself to others because that's not a helpful gauge to how well you're actually doing. And what Paul says here is is pretty obvious, right? Imagine how healthy a community could be if everyone in the community was committed to both helping and encouraging others and to taking responsibility for themselves. No community is perfect, but wow, that would be an incredibly healthy place to belong, a place to grow and thrive. But Paul also has this encouragement to not compare ourselves with others. And I want to spend the bulk of our time today talking about this. In general, it's really easy to compare ourselves with others. And often often life is made to feel like it's some sort of competition, right? For you students who face all sorts of pressure to achieve and perform, you not only have to worry about your own academic and extracurricular performance, but you also have to worry about standing out above others so that you get noticed so that you can win the award, so that you can get accepted into the school and program you want to, and on and on it goes, and that extends into adulthood as we we have to compete for the jobs that we want. And we think about the social pressures that we have to look a certain way, to have the appearance that we have it all together, to get the right job, house, car, etc., all the things that have the veneer of making it seem like we've got our act together. And always that's in comparison to others, right? Keeping up with the Joneses is the old saying. Even things like politics can become a childish game of comparison where two adults act like immature kids and they go back and forth with, well, I know you are, but what am I? Right? Candidates don't have to tell you why they would be a good choice anymore. They just have to tell you why the other person is a monster. Who's ready for these elections to be done with on Tuesday so you can don't have to see any more political ads or text messages. Anybody? Okay, good. All that to say, I do want to say this. I'm ready for that to be done, but I also would encourage you, if you're eligible to vote, you should vote. Um, I know I've preached before that I think Christians have put too much emphasis, too much stock, that politics are a solution to the world's problems, but we have also been blessed with the right to vote that not everyone has. We have been blessed with the right to have our say, and, and I don't want to take that for granted. So I would encourage you, be informed, pray, ask God to guide your conscience, and vote for what you think are the best choices. And honestly, when you're pre- presented with two choices that are both just terrible, it's okay to leave that part of the ballot blank. It just is, right? But do your best to, to, to be informed and, and to, to vote accordingly. But I just... Let's be, also be careful not to expect too much, right? The kingdom of God won't be ushered in by politics. All of this to say, 
Comparing ourselves with others is not a healthy way to define who we are and how we're doing. And these comparisons can happen in different ways. And one, one way of comparing is comparing down, right? When I say comparing down, it's when we're looking for reasons why I'm better than someone else. I'm smarter, or I have more, or I'm more spiritually mature. My sins are not as bad as that person. And when we do this, we're making a couple of mistakes. First, we distort reality. You know, think about my story. Oh, yeah, look at this big, tough guy. He hit a home run on a little league field, right? I hit a baseball further than a child. That doesn't mean I'm a good hitter, right? In the same way, having the opinion that I'm doing better than someone else and following Jesus doesn't actually mean I'm doing great. It's like saying, well, at least I'm not a serial killer. Is that how low the bar is? This is one of the reasons Jesus often had really strong words for religious leaders at his time. They had the appearance of righteousness, and they loved to compare themselves to others and, as if that was the measuring stick for their goodness. Jesus tells a parable once about a, a teacher of the law, a religious leader, and a tax collector who both go to the temple to worship and to offer, uh, to give an offering. The, the, the religious leader says, God, thank you that you didn't make me like this guy, this sinner. His measuring stick is this other person, right? And then the, the tax collector says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I need your grace. Jesus said it's the tax collector who went home justified, not the prideful teacher of the law. Paul, later in this chapter, is going to break down why this is an unhelpful way of measuring what we're actually doing, but, but it's a mistake to use this as a gauge for how we're doing, to, to, to compare down. It doesn't mean you're actually doing all that great. The second mistake we make is what it does to community if everyone is sitting around trying to find reasons why they are better than everyone else. In our culture, we think that competition brings out the best in us, and there are ways in which that's true, you know, in terms of setting goals and performance, but Christianity is not a performance. It's a way of life. It's striving to become like Jesus, and, and that happens in community, and we need each other to do that. Competing with one another, whether it be in material ways or in spiritual ways, does not bring us closer together, and it doesn't bring us closer to Jesus. It actually pushes us further apart. When we begin to define our own worth against someone else, we, we become critical in a way that makes us feel better, but it doesn't do anything to build a relationship or help that person strive for more health, Right? Comparing ourselves to others, trying to find reasons that I'm better than others, it doesn't lead to healthy relationships. What it leads to is enemy-making. It divides us. The whole book of Galatians is about people striving for healthy community. It's, a, it's not about individuals and, and perfect theology. It's about a family of people with different backgrounds and stories, with different past struggles and trials and tribulations, with different entry points into how they came into the faith. And we can't build a healthy family if we are looking for ways that we are better than one another. Instead, Paul wants us to bear one another's burdens. Your struggle becomes our struggle. I'm here for you. I'm here to help. We bear each other's burdens and we take responsibility for ourselves. So it's not healthy to compare down. But I also want to say it's not healthy to compare up. Comparing up, when we compare ourselves to someone who has more or seems to have it more together than we do or seems to be happier than us or better than us in some way. I'm not talking about looking up to people that you admire. That can be healthy. But when we measure our worth against those people, it doesn't actually lead to thriving. 
And it can play out in, in a number of different ways. The first way this can play out in an unhealthy way is envy. When somebody has something we don't. When somebody seems to be thriving in ways that we are not, and that turns into envy. Well, that gets right back to that enemy making that happens when we compare down, too. We begin to hate people when we envy them. And that's really bad for community. That's pretty obvious. And Paul's message in the book of Galatians is, guess what? You want to show the world that Jesus is good and Jesus is true? Then be one. Get rid of the old divisions. Get rid of the envy. Get rid of the comparisons. Unity will proclaim the gospel in the most powerful way. Another way that comparing up is unhelpful is it can stunt our growth. And this is true in general. Like you could say, well, I'll never be the hitter that Barry Bonds is, so I may, may as well never swing the bat again. Well, that's not helpful. I've seen this happen in so many ways over the years, but whether it be in you know, shallow or superficial ways and even deep spiritual ways. When I teach guitar, some kids pick it up really quickly and others are sitting there going, well, I can't I do what he does. I just might as well quit. And that's sad because guitar is just about work. Some people pick it up quicker than others, but if you keep working at it and keep working at it, you'll get there. You know, we, we start to compare ourselves. That person doesn't seem to struggle with this sin that I'm struggling with. They make following Jesus look so easy. This person knows the Bible better than me. I'm young. They won't listen to what I have to say. This person has these really impressive gifts, and it's so obvious how important they are to the church. And all these attitudes become demotivators. I'm not on their level, so I must be less than. And that statement isn't true. First of all, we, there's so much that we don't take into account when we think this. We all have different stories. We all have different starting points. We all have different gifts. And, and sadly, some of the gifts that, that, that God gives us in the church are over-glorified. I get too much credit for what goes on in this church if it's good. Probably get too much blame if it's bad. But still... I will get, people will glorify the gifts of people who can preach and lead worship and all that stuff. And there's all sorts of other gifts that people have that get under-glorified. They don't get the credit they deserve for what they bring to the church. We can't let a sense that someone has it more together than us keep us from growing and from taking whatever next steps Jesus had for us. You have a gift. Every one of us has gifts to bring the, to the table, and those gifts are necessary and needed. Don't let comparing with somebody else keep you from bringing that gift. The other thing that comparing up does is it actually gives us a built-in excuse to not try at all. I can't share the gospel like that person does, so it's probably better if I just don't at all. I haven't been blessed with material wealth as much as other people in this church. So, you know, generosity, giving to the church, or, or giving to people in need, that's somebody else's responsibility, not mine. I don't know the Bible like that person, so I should stay away from leading in powerhouse or in the youth group or whatever. And I just want to say we can't let our limitations keep us stuck. All of our next steps might look different, right? My next steps might look different than your next step. But we all have a next step. We can't allow poor self-esteem that comes from comparing ourselves with others be the thing that holds us back from growth. Now, I want you to hear this again. You are a gift to the church. Whatever lies you've believed about yourself, you talk down to yourself and you compare yourself to others that you think have it better than you or, or are better than you. No, 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 no. You are a gift to the church. You bring 
something that we need that we don't have without you? I've been in Christian environments where we as leaders were told, spend the bulk of your time on the influencers, the impressive people, the ones whose gifts are glorified and the ones who get things done. But we need to know that this is not actually the way of Jesus. Paul says this in, in a different letter, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God's power is most on display when he flips the world upside down. Believing that God can't use you to help others, to serve his kingdom. Over time, that's not just a self-esteem issue, it's a faith issue. Do you believe that God can overcome your limitations and my limitations to do whatever he wants? God can and wants to empower those the world least expects. That's my story. Like 20 years ago, if you were to ask me or the people uh, who knew me the, 20, the first 20 years of my life, and say, hey, do you think this guy's going to be a, a senior pastor someday? They'd be like, are you crazy? <laughs> when he talks about the foolish things of the world, I was the foolish thing of the world. I still am. I'm just some random donkey that Jesus said, I can use you. I can even use you. It doesn't make sense that God would use me with my past and the things that I had done. It doesn't make sense that he would flip my life around and say, look at my power on display, not my goodness, not Eric's goodness. Look at God's goodness, what he can do. Maybe God isn't calling you to be a pastor like he called me, but again, you have something to offer this family called the church. Your presence, your gifts, even if they're not the, the kind that get a ton of attention and glory, you're needed. Again, please don't let comparisons with others keep you on the sidelines. Instead of comparing up, we, we can use those that we look up to as inspiration. Look at what God has done in them. Not look how great they are. Look at what God has done in them. I wonder what's possible if I allowed God to work in the same way in my life. I wonder what's possible if I keep taking the next step of faith, whatever it is that God puts in front of me. And then Paul summarizes this whole section in verse 10 in a way that I think is really helpful. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Galatians is not about individuals, it's about a community. And Paul's telling us there are no specials, there are no unspecials, we are not in competition with each other, we exist for one another. So let's do good to all people, especially the family of believers, because if we who have Jesus in common can't figure this out, well, then there's no hope for the world, Right? Let's take a look at the next chapter of this section, uh, this, uh, this, the rest of this chapter. Let's take a look at the rest of the verses in this chapter. Verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being uh, persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. 
From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Let's leave the, uh, these two verses up, these last two. I want to start with the last two verses, mainly because I find them funny. Um, the first one, he's, he's like, <laughs> verse 17, nobody else caused me any trouble. I'm sick of it. Like, he's just fed up, man. Like, this whole letter is Paul being like, I'm done. Get it together, right? And, and he's, he's had it. And he says, like, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And what does he mean? Why is that an important thing for him to say? Well, we know the Apostle Paul once was a persecutor of Christians. He was trying, by comparing himself to other people, to justify himself in front of God. And he saw what they were doing, worshiping Christ, as wrong and evil and idolatrous. And so he was beating people up for God. Well, now he's had this encounter with Jesus. His life has been changed. He's experienced this radical transformation. And what is he saying? I went from being the tough guy beating people up for God to being the guy getting beaten up for God and for you. He's a servant of Jesus, the persecuted and crucified Lord, right? In the past weeks in this book of Galatians, I talked about this, this thing that was known in the Roman world as the Jewish exception. They were, they, they were compelled to worship the false idols of the Roman Empire, but they said, no, that's a deal breaker. We won't. We will remain faithful to the one true God. And so to avoid trouble, the government allowed them, they called it the Jewish exception, they allowed them to worship just one God. Well, now these Christians, so that they could avoid persecution, were becoming Jewish, right? It wasn't about being faithful to God. It was out of fear that they were trying to avoid persecution. And Paul's saying, what is the point of that? Christ himself, Christ himself took a beating, to persecution, to crucifixion. How do we think we get to avoid that if that's what comes our way? And so Paul's saying, I tried it the old way, and it led me to be this monster of a person, and now I'm trying it this new way, and it, it, yeah, it's cost me something. It hurts, but I'm not turning back, even if it means I face persecution. Then his closing line, I just, I just think this part is funny. Normally, at the end of Paul's letters, there's paragraphs and paragraphs of flowery language of, of tell a, hey, tell this person I said hi, and keep praying for this person, and I can't wait to see you. And this one, he's just like, hey, peace, get it together, I'm out. You know, he's like, just done, you know. He's frustrated. And it seems kind of a harsh way to end the letter compared to his other ones, but, but he's close to these people. They're friends. Sometimes we just need to get right to the point, and that's what Paul is doing. But this section, this last section of the book, if this was a courtroom, this is Paul's closing argument, right? First, he starts out with this curious phrase, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Paul would normally use a scribe. He would di dictate the letter and somebody else would write it down. And people are wondering, why is he talking about large letters? Well, some people think he was just trying to get their attention by writing really big letters. Other people think he was mostly blind due to a combination of illness and beatings, and so that was the only way he could write, is to write really large so that he could see what he was writing. And either way, he takes the pen and he wants you to know, this is me. I'm writing this now with my own hand. I mean business. I spent time with you. I loved you. I shared Christ with you. I risked persecution for you, and I'll gladly do it again if it means you stay rooted in Jesus. 
And I said, I've said this time and time again, but Galatians is more about relationships than it is about theology. We've shared life together. Now please read these words and put them into practice. And then verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. When I read this, what it says to me is we don't compare up, we don't compare down. We compare ourselves to Jesus. Comparing to Jesus. When I think of my own righteousness in comparison to Jesus, I fall way short every single day, right? And if we're honest with ourselves, if we're humble enough to admit it, we all fall way short. If we're on a spectrum, if we're on a spectrum of, of, of righteousness on this stage right now, I may be a step or two ahead of you. I may be a step or two behind you in terms of my spiritual maturity, but I'm miles away from Jesus, right? And when I understand that, when I understand that, it puts everything into perspective. It, it makes me realize the immense need I have for God's grace that he showed through the cross, it makes me re reminded of the immense need I have for the gospel. And this isn't to exaggerate or beat ourselves up. I, I've heard sometimes people say things like, oh, I'm a worthless worm. I'm a piece of garbage. Like, I don't think God wants us to think about ourselves like that either. But we do need to realize that no matter how good an offering we bring to God with our lives, it's nothing compared to the offering that Jesus has given on our behalf. Nothing compared to what he has offered us. Paul is saying, hey, don't find your worth in comparing up or comparing down. Find your worth in the gospel. The gospel that though we chase after sin and push God away, he didn't stop pursuing us. That God loved us even when we didn't love him. That God came here, took on flesh, became human, Jesus of Nazareth. That Jesus lived a sinless life, walking as we were meant to, step by step with God the Father. That he taught us what it meant to be faithful to God, loving God and others. That he faced all the joys and challenges of being human. That he was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted. That he was denied, beaten, mocked, and crucified. That on, on, on the third day, he rose again from the dead after he took all of the weight of sin on his shoulders. And what that means is he defeated sin and death once and for all through his resurrection. He ascended and now reigns in heaven as Lord of all. And one day he will return. When, when Paul talks about new creation, he's pointing to the fact that one day Jesus is going to return, create a new heaven and a new earth, and there will be no more distance between God and man There'll be no more sin and selfishness, and therefore there will be no more tears or pain or death. This is the gospel. This puts everything into perspective, and this is where our worth is found. Hear me. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've run away from God, he loves you enough to do all of that. You are worth so much to him that he would go through all of that so that he can have you and that you can have him. I have a friend who's a pastor who, who has said over and over again that no matter what else can be said about you, the truest thing about you is that God loves you. Can you believe that? Can you receive that? Can you receive God's love and let that be the thing that defines you? Because when we do it, it gives us the humility to see that Jesus has done all that and I couldn't earn if I tried couldn't earn his mercy and his grace and love if I tried. 
But it also gives me the humility to look at those around me and say, hey, why are we fighting? Why are we comparing ourselves? We are in this same boat together. There's not one of us who doesn't need Jesus. It also gives me hope because if Jesus hasn't given up on me, then neither should I. If Jesus hasn't given up on you, then neither should you. Jesus loves you enough to go through all of that for you, so, so press on. Don't quit. I may not be at the stage of faith I want to be, but I can take the next step to get there. And we're not alone. God's family, you're not competition. No. I need them. They need me. We're in this together. Let's commit to one another that, that we're on this path together. Let's do good to one another, as Paul says. Let's forget about the ways the world wants us to compete, the ways the world wants us to divide us, and let's fix our eyes on Jesus. It is through him and him alone that we have life, through the gospel. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can grow, mature, and walk by faith together. And that's what Paul wants the church in Galatia to see and understand. That we need each other. That we are all in the same boat, in desperate need of the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And guess what? He has poured it out. And we receive it, and we walk together towards him as a family. So as a family, we're going to keep worshiping. I'm going to invite the, the band to come up and worship together. As a family, we're going to worship and we're going to take communion today. And, and oftentimes when we take communion, it's easy to just think about a, a transaction between us and God where he forgives our sins, but it's a shared meal. We, we don't have a table big enough for all of us here, but this is a shared meal around the table where it's not just Jesus died for me, it's Jesus died for us. We're in this together. So I'm going to pray, then we're going to worship and take communion together, and then we're going to continue worshiping. God, we are just so grateful for the truth of the gospel. And even as I said those words, just reminding myself of all of you do you've done from your incarnation to your death and resurrection to your ascension, I get chills. I've known it for so many years, and it never gets old. God, I pray it would never get old. Thank you, Jesus, that you would go that far for, for everyone in this room. You would give everything that we might have you. I thank you that you've given us each other. Lord, I, I think of the countless people who have influenced me, the countless people who have cared for me, the countless people who have walked with me through tough things because of our shared faith. Lord, we live in a world that's built on competition, but you want you want community. We live in a world that's based on comparison and what you want is, is mutual love and self-sacrifice for one another. Help us be that kind of people. Help us forget about all the superficial ways that we might look Jesus-y, <laughs> that we might look like we've got it all together. And help us pour into each other true faith, encouragement, to reach out a hand when someone falls down to help pick them back up. To wipe tears from, from eyes that are grieving. To give encouragement to those who are losing hope. To say, you got this. Keep going. Take that next step. God, make us that kind of family. And we can only do this through, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, fill us up as individuals, but be with us in this place, in this community, in our midst. We want to chase after you together. Pray in Jesus' name.